without further ado, I told you, I've been telling you the last three weeks, you better get your pens and pencils and notepads ready because um, you got some notes to take. I have no doubt that uh, God has brought a ringer in the house today. If you have never heard, let me tell you something, church. You just got to know what a big deal this is for this man to be here. And he's not going to say this. His wife, lovely wife, they'll never say this. They're humble pie people. Um, before they took this position, I guess a long time now ago, it seems, uh, uh, they pastored a very successful church in the Dallas area. And, uh, but God has led him to lead our district, over 400 churches. Him and his wife oversee and are responsible for vision and leading pastors such as myself and my dad. And, and I'm going to tell you what, as, as a pastor of a local church, for him to come into my church and my pulpit, it's a big deal for me. Like, it's kind of like, like we had Alton Garrison here, like celebrities for me coming in to be with me. And, um, and God has uh, given our district great leadership in the Assemblies of God. And I promise you, you're not going to want to doze off. You won't. And, uh, you, you know, you pull out your Bible apps, get ready to take notes. Give it up right now for my friend, your friend, Pastor Rick DeBose. God bless you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you. What a privilege to be in Matt's pulpit. I tell you what, this is exciting for us. If I can get my notes turned over where they'll face me. Hey, this is great. This is great. 75 years. You started the church, right? Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, slowly they got that. It took them a minute. Some of them had to think, did he? Did he start, did he start the church? No, he's not that old. That's pretty good. Well, the Lord is faithful. This morning we had to leave Dallas and it was froze in. We were we hadn't been out much. Yesterday I got out on the road just a little bit to see how they were. We have a Tahoe with four-wheel drive, so I got around pretty good. But still, it was not easy. Well, this morning we got out, got to the highway, and did pretty good. It was a little little rough getting into Waco. Coming out of Waco, we thought, I can cruise now. And I was, I had it in two-wheel drive. I was moving on pretty good. When we hit a bridge that had iced over, we went one of those little fishtail things. But on the other side was a pretty major wreck on that same bridge going north, pretty bad. So it's a, there's still a little bit of, there's still a little bit of, be careful out there, all right? I know it's going to warm up today, then get cold again, so just be careful. But we made it, so we slid in to Belton this morning, ready to have a great time and celebrate 75 years. Well, I remember one time I was dealing with a, an old minister who is in a nursing home, actually, and I asked him, he was 100. I said, how do you get to be 100? He said, well, there's two ways to do it. I thought, well, two ways. Wouldn't have thought that. He said, yeah, I said, one way is to avoid death for 100 years. I said, that'll work. He said, but the other way is to keep on living for 100 years. I said, oh, there is two ways to do it. And, you know, the way we want to do it is keep on living. Amen? We don't want to just keep from dying. I've been in some churches who they're just trying to stay alive and keep from dying. Their biggest fear is losing somebody. But the way to grow and the way to stay alive and to thrive is to keep reaching somebody. And so it's a whole different focus, isn't it, when you're celebrating moving forward versus celebrating just staying alive. For who cares if you live to be 100 if you don't live on the way? And who cares if your church lasts if it doesn't make a difference in the community? So it's not just about how many years have we done this. It's how effective have we been during the years while we've been doing this. And so the power is in the souls that are saved, the lives that are changed. And we don't just celebrate 75 years of keeping the doors open. 
We celebrate 75 years of changing lives by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the thing. How many of you would say that the Lord has changed your life? Somewhere, look at that. Look at it. Sure, sure he has. If you're saved, the Lord has changed your destiny. He's changed where you were headed. Wow. And the church participates in that process. The church participates in the discipleship. So the power is not just, did we keep the doors open? Celebration today is because while the doors were open, look what God did. How awesome is that? And if he's done it for 75 years, somebody, I'm going to preach it a minute. I'm just warming up. So just, just, just stay with me. Sometimes if we're not careful, we think uh, we get to hearing all the bad reports and, and, and looking at the what ifs. What if, uh, what if the government does this? And what if war breaks out over here? And what if the economy does this? Will the church survive? Let me help you. The church has nothing to do with anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Some of the greatest, fastest-growing churches in the world are in places where it's against the law to even have church. Great, one of the strongest churches on the face of the earth is in China. It's not even legal to have church in China, but in China we're exploding. In Vietnam, the church is exploding. It's still a communist nation. One of the stronger churches, again, is in Cuba. Cuba, it's not even really legal, but they know about it and they ignore it because the best people in Cuba are the Christian people. And so they just kind of let them keep doing it. So you can say, well, the government's going to outlaw us. What if the government does? What if the government takes away our right to write off our giving to the church? Are you going to stop giving to God just because you don't get credit for it? I don't think so. What if the church said, what if they said, we're going to tax you like a business. Then we're going to pay the taxes and God's going to keep making away. Because really nothing's going to stop the church. It's not about we got this long and lived this much because we had the right thing. But if it changes, we could die. No, sir. No, sir, the church was given birth to by Jesus. It is sustained by Jesus. And no matter what happens in the world, I can take you to places like Africa where poverty is incredibly strong in some of those nations. And yet with no money, the church is growing at a rapid pace. We think we can't grow if we don't have money. Well, if we don't have money, we can't do this and this and this. Listen, God doesn't need money to grow his church. It's amazing. It's amazing that his church is dependent only upon him and by his power. And for 75 years, he has found a way. If you go back 75 years, you're reaching into some pretty difficult times, ebbing and flowing through the nation economically. We could talk about a number of times and wars and other things that have happened in and around us during that 75 years. And yet again and again, the church just kept right on going. Why? Because the Lord is our source and our strength and our life. And ladies and gentlemen, you are the church. If the church makes it, you're going to make it. And if you make it, the church is going to make it. And as long as Jesus is alive, we're all going to make it. And nothing, they've killed him once and it didn't work. They're not even going to try again. He's alive and well, and we're going to do well. So not only do we have a past and a present, we have a future. The church does. Wow. I want to read you a passage of Scripture out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses uh, 10 through 15. It said, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, or silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, 
and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. What a powerful passage. That's a seminar. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we love you. We thank you that you have sustained this church and this community for this many years. We thank you that at this point in time, only you know the number of how many people has been saved through the ministry, both nationally, internationally, and locally of this church. You alone can keep up with those kind of things. We can't see it. But we know that by being faithful and consistent, we have done what should be done. Therefore, many have come into your kingdom because of this church. Many more have been discipled and trained and released and developed and sent out. If we were to look at the impact this church has had on the world over the last 75 years, uh, cumulatively, we'd be impressed. We'd be amazed. We'd stand back and say, wow, God, we didn't know that we had that much impact. And yet, God, you do know. But that's not all you know. You know what the future holds. You know what can happen from here. You know that if we do what we should and be who we should and obey you as we should by faith, we will see more in the future than has been done in the past. We believe with all our heart that you, O oh God, have the tendency and you're the only one who can outdo you. That you, O oh God, can do more than you've already done. And therefore, we believe that greater is he that is in us and what you're going to do through us than what's been done. And we ask you to speak to us and lead us today so that by your hand and power, we can see this church become everything you've called it to be so that your whole church can be all it was meant to be. Give us wisdom and help and anointing as we speak this word. Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you a little bit about the past, the present, and the future. I want to begin with the past because it's a good place to begin. The foundation of the church must be always Jesus Christ. Now, I know you say, Pastor, that's just so obvious. It is obvious, but we need to keep it obvious. Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen says, so this is what the sovereign Lord says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. He established way back in the book of Isaiah as he began to explain and release the coming of Jesus Christ. It's in Isaiah that we discover the virgin birth. It's in Isaiah that we discover what God was up to. Though it was hid and veiled in those words, they didn't get it until later looking back. It became a reality. But in Isaiah, it began to be expressed that this one God was sending, this son of God, this lamb that God would provide, would literally become the head of the cornerstone, the precious stone upon which everything else was to be built. That is not upon the law. Did you hear that? Not upon the law. The law spoke of Jesus. Not upon the prophets. They spoke of Jesus. Not upon all the things in the Old Testament. For each one of those things simply made preparation for the presentation of Jesus Christ. But once Jesus came on the being, came on the on the on the scene, that was established, and everything would be built upon Him. Everything would be built from Him and on Him. And anyone who put their trust in Him would never be dismayed. Boy, that's a powerful hope to us. You can say, Pastor, I, I have this going on and that going on. Is your hope in those things or is it in Jesus? 
If your hope and your faith is in Jesus, you will not be dismayed. That has not changed. It's not changed since Jesus came into the earth. We're about to celebrate Christmas, the time of his birth. Since Jesus lived his 33 years, since Jesus was crucified, since he rose from the dead, since he ascended. None of those things have changed. It's still about Jesus. And if your life is founded on him, you do not need to be dismayed. There's so many other things that if we're not careful, we will found our life on. And if your life is founded on those things, you may have reason to be dismayed. But they're not trustworthy, but he is. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul would write, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. He's showing Jesus as the chief cornerstone from that stone. It is the one that sets in its place so that from there, everything else can be marked out. From there, everything is level. From there, everything is square. From there, everything else is built. Everything hinges on that one basic main cornerstone, the unmovable. And everything comes back to that. And it must always return to that. And whether or not the church is in balance has to do with how it's connected to the cornerstone. And whether or not it's level has to do with whether or not it's connected to the cornerstone. Whether or not it's square has to do with whether or not it's connected to the cornerstone. And and how it's connected. Everything begins with Jesus, even in a Pentecostal church. Hear me. Jesus is the cornerstone. From there, everything else is established. And sometimes, if we're not careful, things can happen. When the Israelites returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the, the city of Jerusalem because they'd been in exile for those number of years, when they first got back to the city, they began to find them and create places for them to live personally. But by the time we get to Ezra, chapter 3 and verse 3, it said, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built an, the altar, the altar, on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings unto the Lord, both in the morning and the evening sacrifices. Now, without reading the whole passage, what happened was they went to the place where the temple once stood. They went into the place and they found by the temple the place where the altar was, where the sacrifices would be made morning and evening. The altar was no longer there, but they found the foundation of the altar. And they cleaned off all the rubble from years of misuse and from years of being ignored and from years of being attacked and being destroyed. They cleared all of that off and they got back to the foundation of the altar and in the place of the foundation right there on the top of the mountain, in the place where most believe, most scholars believe that that altar was built in the place or at least close to the place where Abraham had offered Isaac to the Lord. It was in that holy place of righteousness. That's where it all, because well, we just went to Israel last year, and that, well, I didn't even know that. All my studies, I'd never seen that. And that old Jewish guy began to explain how that this altar was the place where Abraham had brought up, and then from there, and he told the story, standing on top of that mountain. It was an incredible, and I hoped and experienced that that place had been determined holy a long time ago. But way before anybody knew it, God had already chosen that place. And that's why he would lead Abraham to that place. And in that place, he would provide himself a sacrifice. Isn't that exciting? And, and as you begin to see that power of that, of that altar, and there they are. They're back at the place. David had bought it during the plague. When the plague was coming because of the sin of David, counting the fighting men, because he was putting his trust in human army rather than an almighty God. And so God brought this great plague. David didn't know how to stop the plague. And he began to pray, God, let the plague be on me. Don't let it be on them. It's my sin, not theirs. And God said, if you want the plague to stop, then you get this piece of property. 
property and you go up in that place and in that place you offer me a sacrifice. This is the same place where later on his son would build the same temple and God had his hand on that place. And in the same way God had his hand on that place and that the altar had to be built in that place, he's had his hand on Jesus because before the foundations of the world were ever established, Jesus was already crucified. And you can't build on anything other than Jesus. You can't build a church on anything other than Jesus. You can't build your life on anything other than Jesus. Everything must come back to Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the constant, the consistent, the hope. He's loving, caring. Later on, he's judging. But all of who he is is what you build your life on and what he builds his church on. They went back to that altar. They uncovered it. They found it. And they reestablished and rebuilt on the altar. Why is that so important? Because we can't build the church on any other foundation than the one that's already been laid, Paul said. You can't go back and say, well, we're going to start a new church, but at this time, we're going to make something else the priority. We're going to make something else. We're going to build this on good music. Well, I like good music, but it can't replace a good Jesus. And We're going to build it on the ability to advertise. We're going to get that that New York-style ability to put the word out of where we are. People are going to come from all over because we're going to know how to mail out and we're going to know how to get on Facebook and we're going to know how to send the word out and we're going to use our electronic ability and we're going to build a church. Listen, the only thing you can build a church on is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There is nothing else. You can say, I don't have all the... Listen, you can build on Jesus. If you've got Jesus, you've got what you need to build a good church. And if you've got Jesus, you've got what you need to build a good life there is nothing else you can put in nothing can replace that you must get back to that jesus 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 that's it that's it sometimes i'm as i'm thoroughly pentecostal i want to say that before i say what i'm going to say i want you to know i prayed in tongues this morning i want you to know i believe in the gifts of the holy spirit and allow the gifts of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit leads to function and lead. I am very comfortable with that. But we must remember Pentecostals. Pentecost came after Jesus. It was came the salvation. And we can't let being Pentecostal replace the message of the cross. Because Pentecost came to empower us to preach the cross. The Holy Spirit came so that we may glorify Jesus. He comes that he may show Jesus, that he may reveal Jesus. Everything is back to Jesus. And so Paul clearly makes the statement when he's speaking to the church in Corinth, no one else. I can't lay another foundation. You can't lay another foundation. Somebody else can't come along with a better thing to build on. I'm telling you, there's one foundation, and it's Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of the church. And when you lay the foundation of Jesus, you end up using the Scripture and the Word of God. For where is it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. You can't lay the foundation of Jesus without the Word of God. And if you're going to lay the foundation of Jesus, you need Pentecost. I'm not saying we don't make those things valuable that are valuable. The Word of the Lord is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. What do you think I'm preaching today? I'm preaching the Word of God. What's setting this message up? It's the Word of God. But what does the Word of God? Who is the Word of God? Jesus is the Word of God. And when I declare the Word, I declare Jesus. And if I try to find some way to use the Word without it bringing me back to Jesus, then I've misused the Word. For the Word is powerful in Christ, and by Christ the Word is powerful. It does not return void. Oh, there's a whole message just on the power of the word. But it's based on Jesus. 
Pentecost is important. Don't misunderstand that. Pentecost is very important. As a matter of fact, in Samaria, the apostles, had, during the persecution in Jerusalem, it got pretty bad, and the church began to scatter. And as they scattered, many left and fled, but the apostles stayed in Jerusalem and stood their ground. Later on, as Philip would make his way through Samaria, God would put his hand on Philip, and he would receive a great harvest. If you remember, just a few months before that, Jesus had went by the woman at the well and met her just outside Samaria. And then he had, he had led her friends, the, the men that she brought out. He told them who he was, and they believed. And so the seeds had been planted in Samaria, but now it was time for harvest because that was before Pentecost, before revival, before persecution. And now Philip comes back through that city and has this incredible harvest. I mean, they're getting saved all over the place. And so they're baptized baptizing them in water. Well, word gets back to the apostles. Apostles said, what's going on? They said, God is now moved on to the next generation of workers and leaders, and, 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 and he's using them. As a matter of fact, Philip, they said, that little, that little scrawny runt, Philip, they said, Philip has got the anointing on him, and he is preaching, and people are being saved, and they're coming into the kingdom, and they're baptizing them. And so they said, well, let's just go make sure that they've kept the integrity as it should be. And so they ran off to check on the work Philip was doing. You know, that's, that's what that's what my generation does for the younger generation. There's a point where we just kind of hand it off and they're running with it. We can't even run that fast anymore. Let's just be honest. We couldn't do that. We can't put in those hours. We need sleep at night. I mean, it's a whole different world. But we do come along to make sure they're still doing it right. And when you come along to make sure they're doing it right, the first thing they wanted to know was, has anybody received the Holy Spirit since they believed? And they said, no, we've just been baptizing in water. They said, Philip, you're dropping the ball, boy. Get those kids out here. And they begin to pray for them and they begin to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was so powerful that one of the sorcerers wanted him to give him some of that power and of course it didn't work out well for him but but you know the story but that whole reality that they wanted to keep it right they were making sure pentecost was still a part of the process but i believe when they went back to check on the integrity of what was being done they made sure jesus was being preached baptisms in water baptisms in the holy spirit according to the scripture according to righteousness why Jesus is still the foundation, that's why. There should always be miracles and healings. And we should also preach the soon return of Jesus. Not just that he came, but that he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. You know, I, I'm not a pastor anymore in, in, the, in the sense that I was for so many years. And I, as a pastor, I wanted to make sure that we regularly preach some messages on he's coming. There's something good for us to know that he's coming. He's coming. Jesus gives, gives that great parable. He said that these guys forgot that the master was coming back. And so they begin to mistreat people. They begin to steal stuff that belonged to him. They begin to misuse because they forgot he was coming back. But he did come back. And when he came back, they were rewarded not because of what they knew, but because of what they did while they tarried, while his coming was tarried, while he waited. See, folks, he's coming back. Don't let us believe that we're going to get away with something because Jesus hadn't come. Well, I've been here and he's coming all my life. Well, who are you? What are you, 60, 70, 80 years old maybe? Listen, you're not old. He's been preaching. He's coming for over 2,000 years and he hadn't come. But I will tell you this. Ever since he began to come, I, I like that over in Zechariah. Zechariah gives that incredible little prophetic statement. I don't, have, I don't want to go there and preach it because I could, I could get caught up and not get anywhere. But he, he spoke of his coming way back then. And it was a word coming that would mean to us that the train has left the station. Think about that. 
I mean, if you're in Dallas and you're going to catch the train that's going to New York, I mean, going yeah, going to New York, but it's coming from L.A., and you go up and say, is the, is the train coming? Well, yes, sir, it's coming. It left L.A. about three days ago, and it's still coming. We don't know exactly when, it, when it's going to get here, but we know it's left the station. The process has already been put in motion. The process has already started. All the things that have to happen before he gets here are happening. We can line up the prophetic voices and the utterances that have been given to us, truth of the Word of God. And one by one, they're coming. They're coming to pass one and then another and then another. And we begin to see it. We say, he's not here yet. Yeah, but he's coming. And he said, when you see the fig tree, begin to put forth his leaf. When you see it, we say, well, look at what's happening in Israel. That's right, because he's coming. Look at what's happening in the world today. Wars and rumors. That's right, because he's coming. You can begin to say, wait a minute. He really is coming. He may not be here yet, but he's been coming for a long time. The problem is he's going to show up when you didn't think he was coming. He's just going to be here all of the sudden because we have founded this church on Jesus. We founded it on his cross. We founded it on his resurrection. We founded it on his ascension. And we have founded it on the fact that he's coming back. And he's coming when you don't expect it, but he's coming. And when he comes, he will judge us for what we're doing. That's all Bible. That's all scripture. That's all Jesus. Jesus is coming. Those who have come before us, before this 75th anniversary took place, have laid a good foundation, a right foundation. They dug down and found the rock, Jesus Christ, and have built this church on the rock. We should respect what they have done. We should be thankful for what they have done. And we should celebrate what they have done. Some of them are in heaven. Some of them have been long gone. They have already received their reward. They're enjoy- They're not worried about the economy because they're in a good economy. They're not worried about, to see, their tears have been wiped away. There is no more division or separation or mourning or crying. They, they've got it. They, they, it's what we're looking for. They're there. They've got that. But before they went there, what they did was lay a foundation that we could build on. Thank you, Lord, for what they have done. Some are still with us. Some have been a part of that, and they're still here today. And we can celebrate you one by one and name by name for those that have been faithful over the years to make sure this church continues to be about Jesus, on Jesus, because of Jesus, and for the sake of Jesus. It is the key and the foundation. Thank you for that. But understanding and respecting not only the quality and who the foundation is, but also the work that has been done on the foundation, let us be careful how we build on it. That's his next statement. Be careful. He said you can't relay it. It's already laid. You can't, you can't do better because it's right. But the thing that you must be cautious about is what you do on top of what has already been done. Our present work. Listen, a good foundation might as well have a good building on top of it. Why would, why would, you, why would you dig down 10 feet and pour a solid block of foundation filled with rebar and steel all bound up so that this thing is ready to withstand a great earthquake and then get on top of it and build a grass hut. Well, that'd be kind of dumb, wouldn't it? Well, we spent $12 million on the foundation and $12 on the grass hut. 
Well, now, why did you do that? Well, we ran out of money, basically. <laughs> we got a great foundation, and we couldn't afford to build. No, if you're going to build a good foundation, you got to keep up the quality of the work all the way through till the capstone is laid on top that he spoke about to Zerubbabel. He said, he said, just keep on building because you want to take this thing up. You want the integrity of it, the quality of it, the righteousness of it to be not only in the foundation but in the walls so that when all kinds of storms come, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's my closing. But just trust me, we're going to get there. So he says, he says to him, if you build with quality, with gold, and silver, and precious stone, he said, the fire's going to come. But the thing about gold, the only thing fire can do for gold is make it cleaner. The only thing fire can do for silver is make it more pure. The only thing fire can do to an old gym is nothing. It just fires over and the gym's still as it was. For the fire. Don't you like that? He said, if you're going to build on this foundation, you need to bring precious stuff to the table. You don't bring your leftovers. You bring your best. You don't bring what you can, what you, oh, I can't afford. Yes, you can too. We can't afford to let the church be less than what God meant for it to be and than what he paid for it to be. If we're going to build on this thing, we're going to get the best we can get. We're going to bring the best effort, the best ability, the highest quality. We're going to put the best on there. We're going to make sure it's what it should be. And then he says, he didn't say it, but he insinuated, don't use wood or hay or, I like King James. He calls it stubble. That's, that, that's you know, that's just trash. Don't be trash. Don't, don't build the church with trash. You know, one of the things that bothers me sometimes, now I'm going to get a little pastoral here. One of the things that bothers me sometimes, when we'd say we're going we're gonna to go help some people, that the people in our church would go get their old junk. And they dig up their junk and bring junk, and they're going to give junk to people in the name of Jesus. You know, if stuff ought to be thrown out, throw it out. And then they, another thing people do, I pastored a long time. See, I, I know all the tricks. Another thing people do is they get something they want to get rid of because they got a good one and they had a bad one. And they bring the bad one to the church and want to make a donation and see if they can get a write-off. I, I mean, I've seen that happen. Pastor, couldn't you all use this? We can't use it any more than you can use it. Why, why do you think, if you don't want it, what makes you think we would? Yeah, but you're just a poor old church. Listen, we used to be a poor old church, but we realized what kind of foundation we had, and we decided we weren't going to build poor old church on top of a great old foundation. We're going to up the quality around here, and we're going to build righteous and holy and as it should be, and we're going to bring our best to the Lord. As a matter of fact, in the old law, he said, don't you bring me some blemished up little lamb that's deformed and got issues that you didn't want to keep anyway you go find your best one and you bring the best one to the house of the lord you offer me the best that you have and you see what god will do to the rest of what you have left when you give him his your best he'll make your worst better than it ever was i mean god knows how but the key is he's saying don't bring me stuff that's not worthy don't give a half-hearted effort well pastor being on the work worst they want me to practice all the time that's because they want the worship right when we go into worship pastor i became a teacher and they expect me to go to special training that's right because we heard what you were teaching and it was wrong and we're trying to fix this church not mess it up pastor as soon as i got they expected even more of me that's right this is the house of the almighty god this is built on the foundation of jesus christ we can't bring in a bunch of nonsense and half-hearted effort if you're not ready to be the quality god's looking for we're not going to let your straw and your hay and your wood be built on top of God's precious stone, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. 
Oh, bring me the good stuff. I'll never forget those who, Gideon, for instance. God was getting ready to do an incredible thing through Gideon and the nation. He said, what do you want me to do first? He said, I want you to tear down your daddy's gods. He said, what? He said, that's my daddy's gods. Let him deal with his gods. He said, no. Well, if I'm going to do a great thing, we've got to get back to the solid foundation of Israel's truth. And those old gods, you've got to tear that thing down. He had to crawl up and put it. He wasn't a real brave guy. Gideon never was real brave. That's why we all like him. Because if, if he can do it, we can do it. You know, that's kind of, I, I like that about him. Even when the, when the angel said to Gideon, called him a mighty man of valor, he kind of looked around. <laughs> he said, you may have the wrong guy because I'm not mighty. He said, matter of fact, I, I'm from the least tribe, and in that tribe, I'm the least of the tribe. <laughs> he said, I am the low man on the totem pole. I am not a mighty. Matter of fact, what I'm doing, I'm hiding to do it. I'm not like being, look at me. I'm standing up for God. I'm not David. I'm not walking out there. I am just trying to keep my stuff together. He said, no, God's chosen. And the first thing you have to do, so at night, at night, he, when everybody was asleep, he's a smart guy. He pulled down the God. He offered up a sacrifice on that old place. He purified and made that old place holy by offering a sacrifice unto the Lord on it and declared this is done. He did it at night, went home, got a couple hours sleep. Well, the men of the city come by the next day and see the God is gone, that fake God, that false God. And they went and asked his daddy, what happened? He said, I don't know. And somebody said, we all know your son did this. How, how is it? How is it? God makes sure people know when you do good, even when you don't want them to know you did good. And so he said, well, you go ask him. Let it be between him and God. And so he said, his daddy said, don't get Gideon unless you're ready to get God. Isn't that a pretty good statement? <laughs> he said, be careful. If, God's, if God wants to defend, if that God wants to defend himself, let that God wants to defend himself. But if he is standing up on behalf of God, you better be careful because that God may defend himself. And you could be, it was an incredible moment. But he couldn't move forward until he dealt with the stuff that had been built on top of the truth and the true foundation. Sometimes in the present, we do have some things that get built up, things that are added on. It's not because of the people that have gone before us who worked so hard. But if we're not careful, the things of the modern church world can build up on us. People can say, well, we found this to be a good thing. And they put something on top of where the foundation is. And then they say, well, we believe it. And, and sometimes in a church, attitudes can build up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes we get this little little stuff you know we begin to put it on top of the altar and we it's not long until the whole demeanor and the whole process and in the whole essence of the church is lost it's that the jesus is there but we use his name but it is covered up with all kinds of other stuff and we can't really build on it and if we built something on top of it even if we built a good building on top of it if it's not on the firm true foundation when the storm comes it's going to fall apart and i'm going to tell you storms will come to the church You've got to get back. And so sometimes what we have to do is say, has anything, has anything got between Jesus and the church? Has anything got in there that's not righteous or holy? Has anything got there over 75 years? Can stuff happen in 75 years? Well, sure it can. People have come and gone. People passed through that we sent on their way. People, you know, that happens. People came and did some stuff and then left us with it. People, all kind, It just comes through. And over 75 years, it's about every, I know this, every time, every time we, we, we do certain things, we have to clean our house. Uh, you know, 
when you move, you move furniture that's been in a long, a long time in the same spot. There's stuff under there you didn't know was under there. You've been looking for that for four years, and there it is. I've already bought two new ones, and then I found the old one. It was under here because I moved. So my mom used to have spring cleaning. Have you ever had a had a spring clean? Every spring, my mom was like, we took stuff out in the yard. We're carrying furniture. My friends would go, why do y'all do that? I said, I don't know. My mom's from East Texas. That's all I can say. And I don't know anything else. But we're just putting stuff scattered. We're emptying the house. She would clean that thing. I mean, we cleaned, and then we'd clean the furniture, and then we'd put it all back in. But every spring we found stuff we didn't know how it got there we nobody knew and we didn't even have a dog inside so we don't know how it got it was always blamed on my little brother <laughs> it's part of being the little guy and so it just stuff how did that happen and every once in a while probably about every 75 years would be a good time you just got to go back and say are we still on the foundation god put us on is there anything that needs to be dealt with is there anything that's been built up that's not righteous or holy is there any attitude that we've developed is there any any arrogance or pride? Is there any false humility? Is there any faithlessness and loss of trust in the Almighty God? Is there any anger? Is there any, well, I'm going to have my way or not anyway? Is there any kind of stuff going on? Is there any systems we've put in place that we begin to worship the system rather than the God of the systems? Is there anything? After 75 years, it could be something. And if God shows you something, you say, we'll deal with it because the most important thing is being founded on Jesus, not on the system, not on an attitude, not on something of the past, not on even a success. You know, the problem with success is we can begin to build on the success rather than on the foundation of Jesus. We begin to live in the past when God did something and everything. We still sing the songs from when God did something. We still, we still do the same schedule of when God did something. I read the story of the man in Wales. This, this is just a, probably 20 years ago. The, the young boy tells the story of coming into the house of the Lord with his father. And his father was a very old, much, a very old man. And he was a young man himself. And they're coming in, and as they got into the entryway of the vestibule, that old church in Wales where that great revival had taken place, they knelt down and prayed. And he looked all around, and people were praying. And when they got through praying, they went in. He said, Dad, I go to churches all over the world. Nobody does that. Why do we do that here? And he said, well, I guess we do it because of the revival. He said, Dad, that revival's 80 years ago. He said, I know, but son, during the revival, the anointing of God was so strong in the house of the Lord and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit was so real that if you went inside and you hadn't dealt with your sin, God was going to get a hold of you and God was going to make it. He said, he just, it was an awesome anointing of conviction. He said, it really reached a place where all of us would kneel down in front before we went in and say, God, if there's any sin in my life before I go in there, he said, so we're still doing it. Even though God's not doing the same thing inside, we're still doing the same thing outside. Now, sometimes, that's not a bad thing to do, by the way, but sometimes we're still doing the same things based on what God was doing. He's not doing that anymore, and we've let that get in between us and what God is doing now. Are y'all keeping up? We've got to get back to the foundation. And in present, we've got to say, God, what are you doing now? What are you, what's right now? What is the activity of God today? What is the will of God for this moment, for this generation? What are you anointing now? And God, we don't want anything. We don't want the old past and the old way that was good in its day to become something between you and us today. We want to move into what you're doing now. We want to cleanse this foundation and stand feet firmly planted on Jesus it's still the same as it always was. 
Now, there's always an easier way to build the church than his way. There's an easier way to draw the crowd. After Jesus fed the 5,000, he said, here's how easy it is to get a crowd. Watch this. Give me a lunch. He empowered those guys. They fed fed those 5,000 men plus women and children. So the crowd could have been even up to 20,000 people. Huge crowd. Huge crowd. I stood there where, where that crowd would have gathered and just thought about what would that look like to see that big old crowd. I just thought about it. We were on the boat out there looking back from the Sea of Galilee up on there, and I was just thinking, how incredible. And it could easily hold 20,000. I mean, it was a doable deal. And they had set them down in the groups of 50, and that organized. And Jesus taught us all kinds of things, and then he works this great miracle. Then he gets in the boat, and he goes the other side. Well, the crowd runs all the way around the lake. They just go out, and they make their way, and they get to the other side. So Jesus not hadn't been there long when the crowd, they're tired, chasing him down. Now, I said, that's a church I want to pastor, one that will chase me wherever I go, one that will show up. I mean, just Jesus said, I said, Jesus, you had, you had it, man. That was right. He said, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't because the only reason they wanted to come was for what they could get for free. And so Jesus immediately looks at that crowd and says, said, the reason you're here is because you got a free meal. But if you're going to go any further with me, you must be willing to take up your cross, your instrument of death to yourself. And if you're willing to do that, you can go from here. No more free meal. And they all went away. A whole crowd. All of them. Lord, our church was doing good till you got involved. <laughs> we were really growing. I mean, we had people coming from everywhere as long as we were giving and giving and giving. And it was about meeting their need, making them happy, making them comfortable, giving them a false hope. But when the truth came and when the price tag went up, boy, they scattered. And the disciples, they were standing there just with their mouths open. And Jesus said, are you going to leave too? And Peter, I like Peter. Sometimes he's too quick, but I like him. He said, Lord, where else would we go? We found you are the truth. It's no longer about the food and the free meal. It's about you are the most high God. You are eternity and hope and strength and life and truth. We can't leave. Jesus said, good. Let's go. See, the reality is sometimes, sometimes we begin to build a church the easy way because we think the size of the crowd determines the, the, the strength of the church. Can I just say this? You don't know the strength of the church till the storm comes. You don't know the value of the church till the storm comes. You don't know what it could be until it's hard to be. You don't know who's going to make it to heaven until it's hard to go, until it's not popular to be a Christian, until being a Christian has an expensive price tag hung on the other side, until your boss says, if you don't back off of Jesus, I'm going to have to fire you. That's when you know whether or not you're a Christian. When the world says, if you don't quit living for Jesus, we're going to throw you to the curb, and you say, I'm going to live for Jesus no matter what you do. That's when you know you got the real thing. Your foundation is not the things of the earth, but Jesus. You must be in that place. And a healthy church has to have a foundation that's sure, and it must be Jesus. It must be built on it. Built on Jesus. Built on Scripture. Built on truth. Built on His grace and not hyper-grace. That's a whole other message. Built on truth. If we build with the same materials that the forefathers of this church built, not only will we build a church that will get people through the storm and all the way to heaven. But by the way, 
I don't know, and I don't want to judge what I have no right or authority. As a matter of fact, scripturally, I'm told not to judge some things. And I'm not going to judge every church, and I don't believe because the church is big that it's unholy. Our church got pretty big. Other churches get much bigger. I don't believe that a big church is unholy because it's big. I believe a healthy church can grow and multiply and give birth, and I, I, and I want that for you. I want this place to be full three days a week, three times a day, whatever. You know what I'm, where I'm at. I want that because I want that many souls to come to know Jesus Christ and his truth. I believe that with all my heart. But sometimes, if we're not careful, there are churches that I have listened to their doctrine. I have listened to what they said, and it's not pure Jesus. It's Jesus in name, but somehow Jesus is now tolerant of sin and rather a deliverer from sin. Are you hearing me this morning? Jesus, Jesus, well, he looks the other way because of what he's done. Our sin doesn't matter. Well, why did Jude write then that his grace is not a license to sin, but a deliverance from sin? God doesn't want you to continue to sin because if you continue to sin, whatsoever you sow, that shall you also reap. If you continue to sin, you are going to suffer what sin brings into your life. And the fruit of your life is going to be poison. And the fruit of your life is going to be destruction. Jesus loved you too much to give you a license to drive 100 miles an hour on wet roads. No, he tells you don't do that because it's dangerous. He doesn't give you a license to do what will destroy you, but rather he comes along to set you free from what will destroy you, to loose you from sin, to give you victory over sin and freedom from sin. So you can build a church with a false doctrine that gives people a false hope. But in the end, what matters is not how many attended your church, but how many in your church went to heaven when they died. That's what matters. The goal is not how many are in this seat, but how many are in that seat. The goal, And that's not giving us a right to build on quality. It's not giving us an excuse to be less than we should. No, we must be everything we can because we will answer to Jesus for that, for the sake of those souls. But never be misled to believe that the quick way is necessarily God's way and that the easy way is God's way. Oh, but pastor, he said, take my yoke upon you. My burden is light and my yoke is easy. He did say that, but uh, it's still his yoke. And he only means it because he's going to pull the heavy side and he will pull the heavy side. But the easy is there only because your faith is full. Because he's still going to lead you down paths that are uncomfortable and into situations that are impossible. And then he's going to show who he is in those uncomfortable and impossible situations. Please keep balance. Please build on the foundation of Jesus. Wow. If we build the same materials as those who have started this, we will not only build well, but we will lay again another foundation for those who come behind us. Pastor, the rapture is probably going to take place. You just told us a while ago, we're probably it. Yes, we probably are. But what if we're not? What if somebody's got to pick this thing up when we get through with it? What are we going to give them? 
Are we going to give them a watered-down gospel that really doesn't get anybody to heaven but fills the house up? Or are we going to give them Jesus Christ and him crucified? What are we going to give them? We're, if we don't do it now, we can't give it later. If we don't keep, listen, I'm not talking about your salvation or even the salvation of your community now. I'm talking about the salvation of your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. I'm talking about the next generation. Some of you are too young for that to matter, but some of you understand that it becomes very important what happens to my children and grandchildren children and great-grandchildren. And so my priority is not just what am I doing now, but what am I doing now for the sake of those who are going to become after or come after me? That's what matters. What are you building on? Hmm. Our reward is dependent on what we do and what others from what others have done and what we're doing when it's our turn and what we leave for others to build on. So it's all heavy on us. And I like that reward. He ends that whole thing with reward. Somebody say, just everybody say reward. I did a study yesterday. It had nothing to do with this message, and I'm not going to try to preach it, just personally. I did a study on the word reward at 4 o'clock yesterday morning. I had more fun looking up all the times he uses a term that would mean reward. God loves to reward us. Did you know that? You have to believe that he is faithful and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, Hebrews said. you got to believe in the reward system. Well, pastor, what does that mean? Does that mean that pastors get a bigger reward than normal folks? No, 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 no. It means that if God calls you to be a pastor, you better pastor because your reward is dependent on your position and your call and your obedience to it. But if you're not called a pastor, then you don't have to worry about that. But if you'll give a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord, you'll share in his reward. It's an incredible system when you begin to see it. But it's all about what are you doing with what God's called you to do? What are you doing with the opportunity before you? What are you doing with the kids where you go to school? What are you doing with the people where you work? What are you doing in your neighborhood? What are you doing in front of your family? And it all comes back to this incredible reward. And he says, you're going to be in heaven and I'm going to reward. Now, the beautiful thing of his reward is that it's not temporary. He's not. He can reward you now. He said both in this life and in the life to come. He can give you a reward now. He can bless you now. He can give you favor and he can give you more than you have he can do all of that now but the real reward is the eternal reward that thing that will not fade away it will not go away it is forever forever and ever and ever and whatever god gives me forever and i can't increase it once i'm there i have to build it while i'm here and so i am building toward this incredible promised reward that jesus has for us we don't think about that enough and he says he's going to take all of our work he's going to throw it in the fire I mean, we're going to be standing there just like Saul, just us, nobody but us. We're just standing there, spotlights on us, just like it was on Saul, on the road to Damascus. And he's standing there in the spotlight, and God spoke to him and him alone. We're going to have that moment. It's an incredible moment. And the light comes on, and God said, now let's see everything you have done. Pastor, it's not about doing, it's about believing. But for every time I looked up the word reward, he used a word that meant did or done. Pastor, I'm uncomfortable with that. We believe in grace. I believe by his grace, you can do what he's called you to do. Is that making sense? You got to do it. You can't just, I, mm, James said, your faith without works is nothing. It's dead. He said, you show me your old dead works or your dead faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works. He did something. Incredible, powerful. We're gonna see, he's going to throw it all in the fire. Now, all our friends are going to be going. 
Not really. I don't know about that part. And then after the fire has done its work, he's going to bring it out. And everything that was precious, everything that was gold, everything that was silver and precious stone, all that had true heavenly value to it, all that was by faith, all that took us to the edge of who we were, and we had to have a miracle if we obeyed God. Every one of those things that took us out of our humanity and into who he is, everything that was placed holy and correctly on Jesus Christ as a foundation will come forth. And he'll say, now all of that is, and I'm going to exchange, that's my money, that's my money in heaven and he's going to exchange it and bring a reward based on that and all the stuff all the big stuff all the stuff you can build with wood all the stuff you can build with hay all the stuff that's going to just burn up and for it i will receive i like what paul said he said those who do that they won't receive anything but they still get to be saved what does that mean that means that in heaven there's different levels of reward how long since you've heard that You need to think that through. We're not just trying to get to heaven. We're trying to get something when we get to heaven. Put all your treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't get to them, where thieves can't break in still. He's he's clearly marking us. Do this. Why? Because this is what you build on Jesus. Don't build trash on Jesus. So I wrap this up. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock when the flood came torrent struck that house but it could not shake it because it was well built not only is it about heaven it's about whatever's coming to the united states of america it's about whatever the devil tries to do against us we are not afraid i am not afraid god has a way and if this church you know I'm trying to close. I, I'm, it's my, I'm gifted at a lot of things. Closing is not one of them. <laughs> you know, if you build a pretty house, but it's not well built, but it looks pretty, you know, Ikea level stuff. Don't, don't, don't get me sued. <laughs> just, I just said that. I wasn't thinking clear. No, I... <laughs> There's stuff that you, it looks good. It looks good. It looks good till you sit on it. You know, it looks good till you use it. It looks good till it's great in a picture, but in reality, it's not good. There are people who build their whole lives like that. They just look good. And everybody made them say, boy, I wish I looked like that. I wish I, man, I wish I had that look. Others, others build for big. I want a big life. And they build big. My life's big. It's large. It's huge. It's a large life made of stubble and junk, but it's big. But it's large, but it's big. There are others, they're just, they're, they're pretty, but they're made of wood. They're just pretty, it's shined up wood. It's been polished wood. It's, it's got sealer on it. It looks good. It's been stained. It looks special, but the truth is, it's just wood. Some have made their life comfortable. They've made it out of straw and hay, just so it's comfortable. Oh, and I got, I got all that. I'm comfortable. Listen, every bit of that will be destroyed. But the house that's well built, it may not be as pretty. People may drive by it and not even be impressed. It may not be big. It may not be huge. People can say, oh, look at the size of that. It may not be there at all. It may just be a house. That guy, he can't wait for the storm to come, though. He's standing out there going, bring on the storm, Lord. Because these people think they have something, but you and I know I have something. But the only way we can show them what I have is if a storm comes. 
The only way you can know that Noah is righteous is if he builds a boat in faith and God sends a storm. And the boat floats in the storm and he lives and no one else does. It simply says, no, this guy's way was right. You were having fun. You were living large. You were living big. You were being comfortable. You enjoyed pretty. But when the storm came, that poor old Noah survived in his family. See, that's the power. We don't want to build a church on this foundation. It's just large and it's just pretty and it's just comfortable. Matter of fact, it may be too comfortable. But we do want to build one that will survive the storm. He'll still be here. And here's what happens. When you're righteous with God and you're built on Him as a foundation and your material is as it should be, that you're built solid, then when the storm comes and all their houses get blown away, we're not against them. It's better that their house in this world gets blown away so they have time to repent and get right before the end comes. That would be the best thing that could happen to them because if they die believing the lie, there's no hope. We need them to know that. We need them to know that's a bunch of nonsense. We need them to know what's truth and what's not truth. But we must stand for the truth. And when the storm comes, it's the best thing that ever happened when all of a sudden theirs has collapsed all they had believed in all that used to be comfortable isn't comfortable anymore they go looking for a place of truth now they go looking for a place built on jesus christ a place built with gold and silver a place built with godly righteousness and they'll come here and then one day you'll say where'd all these people come from they came from broken down messed up lives that looked good but weren't good they thought was something but it wasn't anything but because we stayed faithful and built on the foundation of jesus christ the way we should be Build on this thing in its day. It will be exposed when the storm comes. Jesus shined his light on Saul of Tarsus and called him out. Asked him, what are you doing to me? And then Saul repented. He called him Paul and became the great apostle. His moment of repentance came because of the encounter he had. This morning it could be that while I'm preaching, God is shining his light on you. It could just be that while I'm up here talking about the church in 75 years and what a great foundation God has given us, and all of a sudden you're looking at your life and you're saying, you know, there's stuff in my life. I'm living large, but I'm not large. And I'm living in comfort, but I'm not going to be comfortable when the storm comes. I'm living, I'm living like I got it. I'm looking, I got a pretty face on, but the truth is my life's not founded on Jesus. And I'm not building on Jesus with my life. And I need to get things right. Before the storm comes, before the fire is heated up, before the moment it does. You may be a Christian. I'm not even dealing with whether or not you're a Christian only. I'm saying you may be a Christian, but you may be disobedient to God right now. And you may be withholding what God has for you to do. You may be falling short of the mark. You may be bringing God your seconds and not your best. And the Holy Spirit may be dealing with you. And if he is, you need to respond because he loves you. And he wants to build you strong. And he wants to be able to reward you doesn't want you to barely make it. He wants you to celebrate. I pray for you this morning. If you don't know Jesus, he's the only way to heaven. He is the cornerstone. And if you put your trust in him, you will not be dismayed or disappointed. It's the truth. Father, I love you and I thank you. What an opportunity to be in this pulpit this morning. Preach your word. Declare the truth that you've given me for this church today speaking and working in our hearts and lives. We want you to finish what you started. So I pray right now by your power and anointing that you begin to reach into hearts and reach into people's minds and their thought processes and begin to minister to them in a place I cannot. 
that by the working of the Holy Spirit, you begin to bring conviction on those you love desperately but need to be convicted of their lifestyle. Some, oh God, if they're here that have not received you as Savior, Lord, I pray that this morning they would have that moment where they would say, wait, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. I must get my life on him because the things I'm trusting in and hoping in will not stand up. They will not be there. I will not be. I will fall if I don't get right with Jesus. There is no eternity in this except hell, and I do not want to go there. Let that reality become a reality to those who need it. Those of God who are faithful to believe in your name and they have put their trust in you for salvation, but they have not surrendered their way to you. They've come for the free food, but God, they've not risen up and said, no, I must take up my cross. I am ready to go to the next level. I pray for them, God. I pray your stirring work deep in their hearts would awaken their potential and bring them up to what you're saying to them. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, just have your way. Just have your way. In the name of Jesus.